Love me little, love me long, is the burden of my song. Love that is too hot and strong, burneth soon to waste. Still, I would not have thee cold, not too backward, nor too bold. Love that lasteth till tis old, fadeth not in haste. Love me little, love me long, is the burden of my song. Hello, lovely listener. I'm your host, Lindsay, and you're listening to Two Cents Podcast, your audible anthology. Valentine's has just passed. Alas, we are still in the month of love. Of course, love is not an entrant in the world of poetry, and I reckon that it's one of the richest subjects in this art. Join me in this introduction as we explore love at a glance. Cue the intro. I began planning this episode with the question of what love is in mind. And I think, without going off into a pseudo-philosophical ramble, that it's agreeable to see love as a benign force that extends all kinds of affection from one subject to the other. Of course, it has a way of being complex in our world of variety, but for one, it is evolving and Love poems throughout the ages have shown how we've expressed our approach to love and our expression of it. In the poems to follow, I hope to distinguish these differences and changes. So, history can be divided into eras, periods of time characterized by ways of living or significant events. The scope of eras I'll be delving into are the medieval era, the early modern era, the modern era, and the contemporary era. I'll begin by elaborating on the era by talking about each one's norms, values, and culture to also give you an idea of what romance was probably like. And we begin in the medieval era, also known as the Middle Ages. It began in the 5th century and ended in the 15th century. The medieval era is further divided into early, high, and late periods. The early period was characterized by mass immigration and the dissolution of the Byzantine era in North Africa and the Middle East. The high medieval period was the crowning era, which saw favorable climates and great harvest, scholasticism was embraced, and universities were coming about. This period saw the intellectual breakthroughs from Thomas Aquinas in theology, Giotto in painting, and Dante in poetry. This summit descended into the late period and was scathed by the Black Death, Ring-a-Ring-a Roses, which claimed about a third of the European population, followed by a whole lot of conflict in the Catholic Church and much civil conflict. The poem selected was written during the High Medieval Period, in 1340. The population in Europe was then around 80 million people. Many people lived in the countryside and would rent farmland from their overlords. Feudalism was the name of the game, where the monarch owned 
all the land and would give some to nobility, which were the knights and the clergy. This created two classes in the society, the feudal class and the peasantry. With regards to the culture at the time, most of Europe was being Christianized because in the early medieval period, the Crusades took place. However, in the high period, there was a rise in Islam and more Jews coming to Europe. The view of women being subordinates to men was well intact and we'll see as we go on that this stance was held for a very long time. Written anonymously is a profession of love from a man to his dear Alison. It was written in Middle English that is said to have been a mixture of French and Latin. I tried reading it, but it sounds like there's German in it, so I will read you a translated version. If you'd like to decipher the original, I will leave a link. Good luck. This is Alison, written by an anonymous poet. Between March and April, when the blossom begins to appear, the small birds take pleasure in singing in their language. I live in love longing for the fairest of all things. She is able to bring me bliss. I am in her power, a lovely chance I have received. I know it is sent to me from heaven. From all women my love is removed and alights on Alison. In her colour, her hair is sufficiently fair. Her eyebrows are brown, her eyes are black. With a pleasant expression, she smiled at me. With a slender and well-formed waist, unless she wishes to take me to herself as her own mate, I will give up living a long time and fall down dead. A lovely chance. At night, when I turn and stay awake, as a result, my cheeks turn pale. Lady, for all your sake, desire has come upon me. In all the world, there isn't so clever a man that is able to recount all her excellence. Her neck is whiter than the swans, and she is the fairest maid in town. A lovely chance. I'm completely worn out from staying awake weary as water in a ware, lest anyone takes away from me my beloved, from whom I've yearned for a long time. It is better to suffer sorely for a time than to mourn forever after. Fairest under a skirt, listen to my song, a lovely chance. Oh my, the speaker certainly has it bad for Alison. In terms of structure and rhyme, this poem has a very zestful rhyme scheme. In the original, three to four lines rhyme consecutively, and then they're disturbed by an ill-matching line that is followed by another three, three lines that rhyme. To encourage what I'm trying to describe, the rhyme scheme would be A-A-A-B-C-C-C-D. I hope that makes sense. This rhyme scheme gives off an impression of playfulness and it shows how joyful the speaker is when he talks about Alison. The use of alliteration and similes 
illustrate Alison to be this unbelievably beautiful woman. The way he ogles over her body and complexion and hair, it's almost as if he idolizes her because ultimately her acceptance or rejection of him affects his will to live. Quote, Unless she wishes to take me to herself as her own mate, I will give up living for a long time and fall down dead. A lovely chance. From these lines and ones similar to it, we are able to recognize that Alison has a particular power over the speaker. His episodes of yearning and lovesickness are a common feature in medieval love poetry. But it seems like the beauty of a woman and her resulting reign on a man pokes holes in the expected subordination of women during this era. Medieval love poems seem to have been a plane for confessing feelings that were probably at odds with social norms, but were candid, expressing intense joy and pain, all coloured in blue, wink wink. This sort of secretive style made the poems more special and exclusive for the person they were intended, which was normally a woman. On the subject of the speaker's will to live being dependent on the woman's response, I think this can be interpreted in two ways. And on one hand, it feels like blackmail, you know, a, ca a case of love me or else. And on the other hand, it seemed like this was a popular way of expressing how deep a man's feelings were by giving the woman they desired power over them. As I mentioned before, most medieval love poetry is quite coarse, and for the purpose of noting progression in love poetry, it pans out to be unsophisticated. Generally, medieval poetry is tinged by an interest in the supernatural, more so magic, which for the purpose of progression is a bit primary. After all, this era was just the beginning of intellectualism. The next era beholds most of the significant events that have happened in modern history. The spread of the printing press and the Reformation in the mid to late 15th century. The American War of Independence and French Revolution that happened in the late 18th century. All of this as a minimal outline. Each one of these events caused pivotal times in society and People changed how they saw the world, with uprising after uprising, freedom, liberty and equality were buzzwords. This was a time also referred to as the Age of Enlightenment. People sought answers and wanted reasons for how their societies functioned. Individuality was beginning to be embraced with the emergence of declarations affirming all men are born equal, thus relinquishing the antiqued order of an absolutist monarchy. This importance of individuality was further demonstrated through these revolutions. By extension, I'd say that the emphasis on individuality and seeing all men as equals meant that all people were expected to give a reason for themselves. I'll explain more in a bit. 
But for now, I will read you Madam Withouten Many Words by Sir Thomas Wyatt. Madam Withouten Many Words, once I am sure, ye will or no. And if ye will, then leave your boards and use your wit and show it so. And with a beck ye shall me call, and if of one that burneth alway, ye have any pity at all, answer him fair, with yea or nay. If it be yea, I shall be fain. If it be nay, friends as before, ye shall another man obtain, and I mine own, and yours no more. Simple and straight to the point, and therefore displaying the first progression in love poetry from the medieval era. This poem abandons an extravagant appeal for a more honest and polite approach. The speaker asks the madam to say without many words if she agrees or disagrees to an advancement or even a confirmation of their relationship. It could be implied that this has been a drawn-out conversation between the speaker and the lady, and at this point, he just wants a simple answer. Unlike mournful poems that go on and on describing the anguish that the hurt lover is going through, the speaker calls the lady out for her tricks, telling her, And if ye will, then leave your boards. Boards meaning tricks. The speaker goes on to say, And use your wit and show it so, which shows that he actually adores her wit and finds her to be intelligent but wishes she didn't use it to play with his heart. In the second stanza, the speaker refers to himself as the one that burneth alway, which could allude that he is burning or in pain over rejection or from being played. Next, he asks, presumably in a rhetorical way, that if the lady has any pity at all for him or what she's done, she must answer him fair with a yes or a no. Here the speaker seems emotionally detached from the outcome. This is displayed further in the final stanza where he says, if it's a yes, he'll be fain, meaning he'll be content. And if she rejects him, they can be friends and she shall go on to obtain another man while he will continue to be his own man and not hers anymore. There's a subtle power in that because he is emotionally detached from the outcomes and his only priority is clarity, which means he will hardly bear any emotional scars from gaining or losing his love interest. A sensible demeanor and a request for clarity is what we find in this early modern poem. I mentioned something about a culture of reason and this poem displays exactly that. It sheds light on how women were perceived during this time, even though they weren't encouraged to be witty or intelligent in an outspoken way. The speaker values this characteristic in his love interest and exercises it by reasoning with her. So 
that was the early modern era. Now we're moving on to the late modern era. When the industrial revolution took place in Europe that changed community and culture. The development of cities brought in men from rural areas, leaving women to tend to the homestead alone. Families became nuclear and a bit more dynamic as some men would father families in both the rural and urbanized areas. In the early to mid 19th century, Romanticism had great influence on culture through literature and art. It embraced and accepted emotions with many allusions and references to nature through vivid descriptions and there was an element of the supernatural hinted at in most romantic works. After all, this was the age of discovery. The world and its possibilities seemed endless, which reminds me of a painting by Caspar David Friedrich titled Wanderer Above the Sea of Fog. It displays a besuited young man standing on a cliff with his foot on a ledge in a domineering pose. He overlooks billowing clouds of fog that veil mountains in the distance. He is the focal point, a symbol of individuality. The view he looks onto could represent the, limitless of, the limitlessness of possibility. All the opportunities that await one beyond the veiled mountains. Back to serenade you and possibly school you on how to write a great love poem is Percy Bysshe Shelley, whom I featured in the previous episode. His eloquent piece titled Love's Philosophy reads, The fountains mingle with the river, and the rivers with the ocean. The winds of heaven mix forever with a sweet emotion. Nothing in the world is single, all things by a law divine. In one spirit meet and mingle, why not I with thine? See the mountains kiss high heaven, and the waves clasp one another. No sister flower would be forgiven if it disdained its brother. And the sunlight clasps the earth, and the moonbeams kiss the sea. What is all this sweet work worth if thou kiss not me? To his love interest, the speaker makes it a point to show that everything on the earth is coupled by a divine law. It's fixed in the way that the elements correspond to each other. And from this harmony, the speaker asks his love why this pairing cannot be the same for them. The way that the speaker uses nature to make his desire known is very intelligent because he makes such a compelling point. He looks unto nature in awe of its innate romance and he insists, What is all this sweet work worth if thou kiss not me? Quite a charming analogy. Completing our discourse is the contemporary era which features the late 20th century and our present day. 
There are many events that have led to the perspectives we see in contemporary poetry. The influence of subcultures and contemporary philosophies like existentialism have allowed contemporary poetry to be more diverse in terms of subject matter and poetic techniques. 14 Love Songs by Elizabeth Jacobson was published in 2019 and it is the poem I will read to you. Above a pond, I sit on a wooden bench and throw pebbles into the willows. A rush of sunlight and wind creates a path and a channel of water dances between the melting ice and brown islands of bulrush. The resident osprey, its eyes the color of yellow grass, follows my tossing hand. Love is a diorama of inner life in an outer world. I look down and find a chunk of fossilized rock with an entire Paleozoic shell sticking out. I'm not afraid of love, but terrified of how it is my steady guide. Once, when tired, I wandered off the trail and crawled under a tree to rest. I woke to a young brown bear licking my boot. Nothing had ever felt that good. When I say I love you, what I mean is, I wouldn't leave you. Even if love is not loved back, it doesn't go away. Although it may become a black hole. Could this be what it's like for trees to lose the green from their leaves? At noon, the light shifts and the pond turns into a mosaic of opaque green ice. Orange carp rise in these cold, watery chambers to breathe at the surface. Always I am in love. Face to face with the sun. Face to face with the moon. My first thought, based off the title, was maybe she's telling 14 different stories. But that idea fails because there are more than 15, 14 subjects that she mentions. I notice, however, that the speaker alternates between two topics. One being her adventures in nature and the other being her experiences with love. The tone seems conversational, almost as if she's recalling a memory whilst making remarks on her love life. Her experience, while out in nature, is so detailed and passionate, while her take on love is so detached and somewhat disillusioned, but very honest. Especially with the lines. Even if love is not loved back, it doesn't go away, although it may become a black hole. In the last line, the speaker fuses her dichotomy and places herself in love 
face to face with two prominent features of nature, the sun and the moon. This makes me wonder when the speaker says, always I am in love. Does she mean that her love is not limited to human beings? After all, she ends up in such an intimate place facing the sun and the moon. But that's just my guess. Might I say, we've come a long way. We began at the crude jest of Alison to the gravity brought by Wyatt's Madam Without in Many Words, and thereafter Shelley's flattering philosophy and ended with Jacobson's multiple love songs. But this was merely love at a glance. Some things have stayed the same, like the potency of love or romantic feelings, in that they could drive a man to end his life if he was rejected in one case. It could also be compared to the harmony in nature and could even become a black hole. But expression has obviously changed. The dramatic life-or-death declarations moved on to be more sensible and approachable, then became witty and charming and full of personality, all the way to conversational and down-to-earth. Yet, I repeat, this is merely love at a glance. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you giving your time. If this is your first listen, I hope this was impressionable enough for you to join me again for another episode. If you're returning, your loyalty is unmatched and received with so much gratitude. As always, my email is open for any further discussion on a topic, episode suggestions, and even submissions. If you'd like more, you can check out the mini blog posts where I discuss episode cover art. Please give the YouTube channel a subscribe and the podcast's Instagram a follow where I notify when a new episode is out. Till next time.